Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series about King David in 2 Samuel. David was a shadow of Jesus, the King of Kings who had come to save us from our sin and offer us eternal life. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel 22. You can turn with me there. 2 Samuel 22. Today's message is uh, from a mother's prayer to a king's song. I hadn't really intended this chapter to fall in this day until a few weeks ago, and I felt it would be fitting. I don't know if you remember back in September when we began our series in, in uh, David and in 1 Samuel, this, this series we've been on, taking a brief break here and there. But we started with looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, and we looked at the person of Hannah, who was mentioned earlier in the child dedication. And it's today that in our minds, I I desire us to kind of have that framework in the back of our mind as we read 2 Samuel 22. For in, in many ways, this story begins with a mother, with Samuel's mother, Hannah. And we're going to be having her in the background as she has this absolutely beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Today we don't have time to read through that all, but in in 1 Samuel 2 she, she prays after having received this child, Samuel, having dedicated him to the Lord, she prays, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in the Lord. For there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. Hannah says that. Now look at 2 Samuel 22 verse 1. I'm going to read. I won't read the whole chapter today. And I'm going to begin reading the first couple of verses of 2 Samuel 22 verse 1. It says, David spoke these words of this song. In fact, 2 Samuel 22, if you were to turn over to Psalm 18 in the book of Psalms, you'd find it's almost word for word the same. Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22 are the same. But 2 Samuel 22, David spoke the words of this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the grasp of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock. Remember, Hannah said those words in 1 Samuel 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. You save me from violence. Then he says these words, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies for the waves of death engulfed me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress. I called to my God. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry and for help reached my ears, his ears. Verse eight says, then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the heavens trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came out of his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down. What a glorious statement that is. 
total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness a canopy around him, a gathering of water and thick clouds. From radiance of his presence, blazing coals were ignited. ignited. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. And statements like a warrior God that he is, in verse 15, he shot arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. And it goes on that he rescued and they confronted. The Lord rewarded. The Lord saved. And then it goes on, if you skip over to verse 28, it says, you rescue an oppressed people, but your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. Hannah said in 1 Samuel 2 that the Lord humbles the proud and exalts the humble. Verse 29, the Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord illuminates my darkness. With you, I can attack a barricade. With my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. And here's the key verse of the whole psalm or this whole chapter in Samuel. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. God is my strong refuge. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. And he sets me securely on the heights. And then skip over to verse 50 and 51. He says this in verse 50 kind of as a culmination of all these things. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations. Lord, I will sing praises about your name, for he is a tower of salvation for his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, or his Messiah, to David and his descendants forever. Then chapter 23 goes into David's last words. These are the kind of the end of all of David's story. It goes into his last words where he speaks about the sun rising like a morning light that brings salvation to a people and how God will extend David's line and lineage and throne forever through a king who would yet to be coming. Let me open in prayer before we dive into this. Father, we thank you for these truths today. We thank you again for Mother's Day and the celebration that it is. We praise you for the children here, for the young people here, for the, for the adults and families that are gathered in this place. God, we thank you for these people. Would you bless them and keep them? Thank you, God, for your word, the instruction that it lays out before us. Would you shape, uh, shape us? Would you frame our thinking and our understanding about life today from these words and from your truth? God, help today not to be another Sunday where we come in and we leave. But Lord, that we would leave changed and transformed by your truth and your spirit that is with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I said, we began framing our mind today, thinking down through 1 Samuel where we begin with Hannah. Then we pass through the life of Samuel and of Saul and of David. And now we come to the very end of 2 Samuel. Really, this chapter and really next week we'll be closing out our series in 2 Samuel and the life of David. But ultimately, in, in the beginning there, in, in um, 1 Samuel 2, we see this mother's prayer that really is the whole story of David's life enveloped in one little prayer from, from this humble woman, Hannah, who was barren and then God gives her a son. 
We see this whole story of 1st, 2nd Samuel wrapped up there. And then really, in some sense, the whole, the whole cosmos, the whole story of life itself and the very answer of salvation is wrapped up in Hannah's prayer, a mother who prays. And then we see that same storyline fleshed out by David here in 2nd Samuel 22. There are so many correlations between the two. Uh, Hannah's prayer includes things like the horn of my salvation where she raises this up. My, my heart rejoices in the Lord in your salvation. There's no one beside you. You have no rival. I, Hannah says, I was starving, but now I'm well fed. I was barren, but now I've borne seven. He brings low and those who are proud and he exalts the humble. For not by might shall man prevail, right? We see that through David's life. It is not by one man's might that he will prevail, but by the spirit of the Lord. And ultimately, the Lord will judge, and he will supply might and strength to his king and his anointed one. And he will lift up his power, the anointed one. It foreshadows all that is to come. And then we come to the very end here in 2 Samuel 22, and we see so much of what David is singing about, praising God for, is foreshadowing all that is to come. And I believe it's been a helpful archetype or pattern or cycle, I can't really come up with the right word, to help us really grasp and understand where we are today in our faith and belief in God and how it is that we see life operate. Today I want us to look through this cycle for you, a pattern of understanding about this section. And so the booth could put that up, that'd be thankful, thank you. Um, this idea of, of where we begin. And so this is really the outline for the sermon today, and yet I found it very helpful in my personal study of this chapter this week to really help frame the way I think about all things in life through this lens. Ultimately we begin with this understanding at the beginning here of God is. And that is where I want to begin this morning. But who is God? God is. Then who was I? I? I was this. Then what did God do in the past? And then who really is God again? And then what does God doing? What is he doing right now in the present? And then what am I going to do in response to that? And then remembering the reason I respond is because of who God is. And you go through the cycle again. And I think as we walk through this, it'll help us to frame and shape and give us a grasping not only of 2 Samuel 22 and what David is saying to us, but also how we see life in general and how we see it operate in such a way. Ultimately, these first verses 2 through 4, and maybe they can put that up here, verses 2 through 4, is, is really in a sense who God is. David begins with these statements. God is, and what does he begin with? God is my rock, he says. God is my rock. It's a very good place to start, and you've got to start somewhere. Ultimately, who God is, and who is God to you? What is your definition of God? And he would say the most important thing about us is our, what we believe about God. Right? And what is it that you believe about God? Where is it that you are starting? It was mentioned earlier, I think, even um, Sam mentioned it, the concept, but even in Proverbs 1-7, but the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The beginning of all knowledge, the beginning of all understanding, the beginning of grasping why you are here on this planet, the beginning of understanding the purpose of your life begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins with who God is. I don't know if you remember in school, some of you, maybe that was many years ago when you were in school. Potentially you remember asking that question to yourself or potentially to your teacher while you're 
doing that word problem potentially of maybe I could even ask for a raise of hands, but if you ever asked your teacher, when am I ever going to use this, right? Have you, have you asked that before? When in the world, how is this going to help me pay the bills, right? You know, and you say, how's this going to help me get a job? This is a waste of my time, okay? I was a teacher for several years, and I, I heard that very often. I can remember asking it of my teachers, especially in math. I struggle in math, doing those word problems, or I'm in algebra, solve for X. And I'm like, what does X have to do with my life, right? Why do I care about X? I don't like X, and I don't want to solve for X, right? But ultimately, what I heard, I remember one teacher telling me, you could use math as an example, they ultimately said that this solving for X or learning algebra isn't necessarily maybe going to help you get a job one day. Maybe isn't going to necessarily be something that you do each and every day. You know, you go up to McDonald's and they say, in order to get your meal, you need to solve this algebra problem, okay? You don't have to do that, right? But, but there is a sense that math and some of these things, what they do is they provide a foundation for the way that your brain will function the rest of your life. And some of learning, what it does is it actually shapes and transforms the way you solve problems in real life. So no, nobody's going to put a problem before you and say, hey, you solve for X or you can't go through here, right? But what it does is your brain has learned to think about how to solve a problem. Your brain is being shaped and transformed. There are building blocks that education puts into your mind that actually shapes and forms the way you think about problems that are much bigger and are actually very important. And so many things in life that we often think, well, how is this going to help me in real life? How is this going to help me? Well, there are many things that we have formed inside of our minds that shape and transform the way we think about life in general. And many times, the way our brains are wired, the, brain, the way we would say, as, um, as some would say even, the way we map reality, that many of us are on a regular basis, each and every day, mapping reality. We are mapping what it is that we think is important in life and where, what it is we're going to pursue with our life, what path we are on. No, you don't think about, well, how am I mapping reality today? But what is it, the reality that you believe in? Is it that you believe in a God? Is it believe that you, you are following him and his way? Are you listening to the truth of God's word? Are you following that direction? Or are you following a different path in a different way? The idea here is that we have to begin somewhere. There has to be a foundation of something that sets the bearing in the course of your life. And to begin with a statement that God is dot, dot, dot. What is that for you? Who is God to you? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and understanding and wisdom. How is it that you make decisions about what it is you're going to spend your money on or how you're going to raise your children or what you're going to do tomorrow and what you're going not to do tomorrow? How is it that you map what you value in life and the desires that are really coursing through your life that are directing the path that you are on or the, the heading that you set your ship to sail towards? What is that heading? What is that bearing? Who is your true north, you could say? You can think through this with me, right? Who is God to you? And ultimately, a true definition of God, a true understanding of who God is, is something that is so grounding. It is, as we are going to sing at the end of this sermon, he, he is a firm foundation. 
It is a foundation that you can construct your life upon. It is something that it will not falter, shatter, crack, or break. It is something that is sure and is steadfast. It is the hope of glory, this living hope that we sang of, which is this firm and steadfast anchor of our soul, something to anchor us on, a foundation to be poured so that a house can be built upon it. It is the same parable that Jesus shares. Do you build your house upon the rock, (laughs) or do you build your house on sinking sand? We all know the story, maybe you know the song, right? But the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the waves came, the winds came, the rains came, and beat against it, and which one would stand? David testifies which one would stand. He begins and he says, the Lord is my rock, the solid rock on which I stand. It is the very foundation of of understanding of who God is, that he is your rock and everything that frames and shapes your outlook and understanding of the rest of life. It is the absolute truth that weighs you down in such a way that keeps your boat from not tossing and turning and flipping over in the storms of life. But when you have no foundation and you have no ballast in your boat and you have no, uh, nothing to ground you, you will be tossed around throughout life when any storm comes along. David says in the storms that he faced when he was being chased by Saul, why he writes this psalm, but when he, was, when he escaped, he says that the Lord is my rock. He, he spoke about in times when, when David was being hunted by King Saul. Do you remember when he is on the mountainside and King Saul is chasing him with men and there is a rock in between the two. Do you remember this? It was called the rock of separation. Saul is hunting him down. David is on the other side of the rock. Saul is on the other side of the rock. And then all of a sudden, out of a blue, uh, a messenger comes to Saul and says, the Philistines are attacking. You have to go and protect the land. Saul retreats from David and goes back to protect his borders. David is rescued between a rock of separation. And I wonder if maybe this is the moment when David says, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress, my defender, my shield, the horn of my salvation. Maybe a challenging phrase for you as it was for me, trying to grasp what is a horn of salvation, right? Some might even say this horn is, think of it more as like an antler, right? A a ram's horn. You might have seen people blow a shofar before this aspect of a horn. In fact, the chapters before this, when they had victory... They were to blow a ram's horn, right? A a horn of salvation, victory, conquering. We've won. The battle is over. Did you see? I just totally whipped that. That wasn't a plan right there, okay? That was the horn being blown, right? Some of you, I just saw you wake up, so that's good. Um, This idea where you blow that horn of salvation, I'm sure it sounded much more like, you know, really big, victorious, like a, like a foghorn that they play at Bruins game when the goal scored, okay? Maybe some of you, that, that resonates for you, okay? But that idea that we blow the horn of salvation, God is here, salvation is here, he is my stronghold, the one, my refuge, and I love this idea, he is my shield, right? The thing that protects me, who is your shield for you, right? What is it, that protection that you find? I, uh, the other night, we were, <laughs> we were uh, sitting on the couch watching the Celtics game, Jamie was graciously watching the game with me, and then we were just sitting there watching the game, 
and I'm occasionally yelling at the TV at occasional times, right? You know, I'm being very patient. Uh, but I'm sitting there, we're nice and calm moment, and then Jamie right next to me just starts freaking out, right? And, and yelling, ah, ah, there's a bug, there's a bug, and she's screaming out. So I just start like, you know how immediately when you go from resting to freaking out in two seconds, you start being really, and then she takes the bug, which was a tick, and she chucks it right onto me, right? She takes the tick, there's a tick! Dude, and she trucks it. I'm like, you, what are you doing? You're throwing a tick on me, right? And so now I'm freaking out, and there's a tick on me, and I get it as the man I am, and I take it and destroy that thing and burn, like, you know, burn it and all. But I think we just threw it in the trash with some tape. But there was this, 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 there's this feeling in my mind that, that I was her shield, right? <laughs> Maybe I was the target of all things, but, but in a sense, I was the shield for her. Because as soon as she threw the tick onto me, she ran and she was calm, right? But then I was freaking out, okay? But in my mind, for some reason, this came up in Bible study. I was thinking this through. Being a shield for someone else, taking on something for someone else, protecting them from the dangers of the tick, right? As men, that's what we do, right? And so I saved her from the creepy crawlies of life, right? But in some ways, I hope that sticks in your mind. Something that is your shield, and as silly of an illustration as that, that is, the, the person we love, maybe our husband, our wife, can be a shield to us. But what if God is this eternal shield for us against the darkness of the world, against the schemes of the devil, the fiery darts of the wicked to protect us, this shield of faith, faith in God's power to overcome those things. David says that God is his shield, the shield to protect him from all of these things. And then ultimately, we begin with God is, and then we move to this section of verses four through seven, I was. Notice he, he begins with the fear of the Lord of who God is, and then he says, I was. And the predicament that David was in was challenging, and some of you might resonate with this this morning. Verse four, I called to the Lord, and I saved from my enemies. In verse five, it says, the waves of death engulfed me, the torrents of destruction terrified me, the ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. This is classic Hebrew poetry. And they repeat the same idea but give a different metaphor to highlight one concept. That the, the snares, the ropes, the cords, the chains of life, this sin, this, this evil, this enemy was enveloping me where I felt trapped. I felt chained down. The ropes of Sheol, that word is the grave, also has a word that... Sheol and Saul, this Saul word, hey, they sound very similar in the Hebrew and some think are they playing this idea where Saul is enchaining David and Saul is chasing him and seeking to bring him down to the grave. But David's in distress. David is feeling stressed out and so he calls to the Lord for help and God answers him. And ultimately, this is all of our position apart from Christ. This is you and me. This is, this is our lives as we are in situations apart from God. We are helpless. We are without hope. We are chained to our sin and to Sheol, incapable of rescuing ourselves outside of someone to come and to break those chains, to rescue us and destroy the enemy of sin and death. Our sin is, is likened to these snares and chains, these traps. Psalm 2.2 it says, let us, in a sense, t let us tear off these chains and throw their ropes off from us. Peter was chained to these Roman guards in a prison and a beautiful picture of those chains breaking off and Peter running out with the angels leading him out of that prison. 
There's a statement in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This yoke, this in chains, these chains, this thing that holds us down. And ultimately, John 8, beautiful statement from Jesus, that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God is, I was enchained and enslaved in a helpless condition. I need God to rescue me. And yet God recognized this need. He recognized your need and he came to rescue you and save you. But I think before we move to that, it is the classic cliche, right? The, the first step in solving a problem is recognizing you have one, right? Yes, it's who God is, but it's recognizing who I am in relationship to God. <laughs> and I am nothing in comparison to him. Yet he loves us still, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He came to rescue us, and that's what we do in life. When we're in a place of distress, we're in a place of fear and anxiety, we, we call out to God, God help me. And what will God do? Well, then we often are called to look back into the past. Verses 8 through 27 is David looking back across his life, looking in the past and seeing all the things God did for him. Seeing how God has never failed him and never will. Seeing how God responded. If you were to look through verses 8 through 27, you'll hear phrases like this. He heard my voice. He burned with anger and the earth shook. He bent the heavens and came down. He rode on a cherubim and flew. He made darkness into a canopy. He thundered from heaven. He shot arrows and scattered them. He reached down on the high. He pulled me out of the deep water. He rescued me from a powerful enemy. He brought me into a spacious place. He rewarded and he repaid me. Statement after statement of what God did in the past. God did. He rescued. He redeemed he put my feet on solid ground into a spacious place that was not precarious like a cliff that I could fall off, but a green and open plain where I could walk and have my feet sure and I would not slip. These are statements that David makes. So ultimately what David is trying to get you to do is get your eyes off yourself and look at God and what he did for you in the past. Look at him. See God. See him from his word. See him from your life of how God has been faithful in your past. He will be faithful again. Dale Ralph Davis says, David wants you not to just know about God. He wants you to see God. <laughs> the poetry provides truth behind the facts that all these came from Yahweh, the sky-splitting, world-shaking, enemy-bashing God. I love that. <laughs> the sky-splitting, world-shaking, enemy-bashing God, right? God is this energizing God, this, this one in which we return glorious praise to. We see God's rescue. We see his power. We see how he is our rock in shaky times. For he is the unshakable rock. And I want to challenge you with that today. To look back. Maybe you need to look in his word to see what he has done. But maybe it's just simply pausing to remember how God's been faithful in your past. He's been faithful to get you to this place right now. He's been faithful to put breath in your lungs in this very moment. And he's been so faithful that he's allowing you to sit under the preaching of his truth, to be around his people who love you and care for you. 
He's gotten to you this place. No, maybe life hasn't turned out the way you expected or what you anticipated, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can rely on him. He is faithful then. He will be faithful today, and that's where we return. We see at the bottom of this cycle, we remain that God did that in the past, and how is it that he did that? Because he is. Look with me at verses 28 through 32. These are all the things that God did, but ultimately it says, verse 29, it says, you are my lamp. Verse 31, his way is perfect. And then verse 32, this key phrase, which I think the whole psalm, the whole 2 Samuel 22 hinges on, this thesis statement, you could say, which is quite common with Hebrew poetry, is to place that right in the middle. But 2 Samuel 22, verse 32, and who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock only our God. There is no one else. There is nothing else. He is the lamp to light your path. His way is perfect always and complete and whole. He is pure and holy and he is your shield and he will defend you like a strong fortress. There is no other rock that is higher than I, the word says. This rock, God, that we stand upon. Only our holy God. He is my strong refuge. Reminds me of Psalm 73 where it says, who do I have in heaven besides you? <laughs> like, who, who else do I have in heaven besides you? Who else is there? As the disciples asked Jesus, where else are we going to go? Right? Where else are we going to go? There is no place else to go. So we notice this movement, right? God is, I was, God did in my past. Because why? God is. And then what else? Well, God continues to do. In the present, now as well. Look at verses 34 through 40, 49. You'll see kind of a movement from some of the verbiage to go from the past now to the present. These statements in this section are statements like this. He currently makes my way perfect. He right now makes my feet like a deer, meaning I don't slip and fall, but I can run swiftly. He sets me secure upon the heights. I do not slip and fall. He right now, trains my hands for war. He helps me. He makes a spacious place for my feet to walk on so I do not slip. Yes, he did this in the past. He clothed me with strength so I can uh, stand against my enemies, this warrior imagery that is built upon. And then ultimately in verse 47, I love this, this statement. Not only was, but is right now. In verse 47, he says, the Lord lives. (laughs) The Lord is alive. My Lord, Yahweh, lives. He is the rock of my salvation. And he is exalted. And so all of this brings this into focus. God is, I was, God did, God is right now again. And that is why he does presently in my life. So then it comes and hinges to this final ending point. What are you going to do about it? And David says, I will Praise the Lord. All of the hardship that David went through comes to this culminating moment in verse 50. Verse 50 at the end of 2 Samuel 22. Really, this psalm highlights kind of the entire story arc of David's life. And as he ends, he says, therefore, verse 50, therefore, I will give thanks. Can can you do that today? Again, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but I do know the God that is working in your life. 
And can you come in here today, and as we're going to close in a moment, we're going to sing a song, and can you praise him with those words? Can you say, I, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. It takes a lot of faith to do that. Be thankful. Be grateful for where he has you today and what he is working in your life. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations. Lord, I will sing praises about your name. I will praise you. I will sing to you, Lord. This is what the Christian faith has been all about. This is what the church does. We sing. We praise him. There aren't too many other gatherings that you get into outside of a church context where a group of people get together and sing. (laughs) Wait, because there's nothing that unifies people like the church. It unifies us around a central object. And what is that? That God is our rock. And we all stand upon that rock today. And we sing to him. And we all, as we live in this life, we try to understand reality and understand what's right, what's wrong. Why is it that I am here in this life and in this place? I have to come back to the place that the word of God says. I start with the fear of God. God is. And then I I move to a proper recognition of my sin, of who I am apart from God and in relationship to that holy God I need someone to rescue me, and so I look at what God has done. And for us New Testament Christians, we look at the anointed one, the Messiah, that would come in the line of David one day. His name was Jesus Christ. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Jesus' name would be lifted high as a name above all other names. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one that we look to for what he has done in the past on the cross as he was buried in the grave and as he is resurrected to new life. He stands now, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, he sits at the right hand of God with all authority. One day he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is the God that we look to in the past, for he did. He accomplished, he triumphed over sin, hell, and the grave, and he rose again, and he is alive. This is who God is. How did he do this? Because he's a rock, he's all-powerful, and yet he is not just something of the past that we look back towards. He is not just something like every other religion that looks to a dead founder, but one whom we presently worship now because he is alive. It is a present reality. And maybe we just don't recognize that too much. Maybe we don't recognize the reality of the living Savior Jesus Christ among us through his Holy Spirit that indwells us, transforms us, sanctifies us, and makes us more like him every single day. That present reality is with us now. God does right now with us. He makes us. He forms us, he shapes us, he comforts us, he energizes us, he encourages us, he heals us, he is with us. Jesus, through the spirit of the Holy Spirit, is with us. God with us in the past when he came as Emmanuel, but God with us now through the Holy Spirit of God. And God will be forever with us when one day he returns to make his dwelling place with man. For the dwelling place of man, as God says in Revelation, for the dwelling place of God is with man, as he says in Revelation. We know that one day he will return. He lives, he works now, he presently does. So how will I respond? How how will I respond to that? What are you going to do? Well, like David, we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to offer a humble praise with with, uh, also, uh, we're going to leave here with confident living, knowing that this is the faith that we serve. 
And how will I respond? Why will I respond? Why will I give praise? Why will I live my life for his glory? Because God is my rock. Because I was this. Because God did this in the past. Because he is a firm foundation. Because he does that now, so I will give praise. Why? Because he is, right? And we go through that mindset framework that we must imbue within our minds as God renews our mind to think in this direction. This is that forming anchor for our life and our lifestyle. And I pray that 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 becomes your, your thinking today, that God is your king, he is your rock, where you are starting. And this is God for us. I'm going to read the lyrics that we're about to sing. It's a newer song, but very familiar maybe to many of you. The worship team's going to come in a moment and sing, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Both Hannah said that, David say it, and we said it today. When everything around me is shaking, I've never been more glad. How is that possible? That I put my faith in Jesus, because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, millennia, right? So why would he fail me now? Well, because he won't. <laughs> he won't. I've still got joy in chaos. Does your life seem chaotic right now? <laughs> I've got peace that makes no sense. It surpasses all understanding. <laughs> I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength, for it is not by might that man shall prevail, Hannah said. Because I build my life on Jesus, the solid rock on which I stand. He's never let me down. He's faithful in every season. So why would he fail me now? He won't. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We ask God that you would remind us of these words and this truth. Spur up within us, Lord, this faith that David sings about, writes about. Lord, the faith that Hannah had. In her prayer, God, that you would bless her with a child. Lord, the faith that she believed in you with. Lord, would you instill that within our hearts today. Help us to see you in a new light today. That today we would leave this place with joy in our hearts, with gratitude and thanksgiving, because you are our firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.